I think gone are the days of people thinking hospitality is not a career. I think it's a fantastic career. Um, and I am really, really staunch that um, financially there are some great, great opportunities. It's lucrative. You can decide your own path and create your own path. Today on Dirty Linen, we are talking to one of Melbourne's most prominent cafe entrepreneurs. His name is Julian Moosey from Only Hospitality Group. He also owns Inglewood Roasters, bringing coffee to the people. Julian, uh, it's great to have you on the show. Welcome to Dirty Linen. Uh, Thanks for having me, Danny. Looking forward to chatting. Yeah, well, um, we talked recently in relation to a hospitality staffing article that I was working on. Obviously, that's um, probably the first topic that comes up when you're talking to anyone in HOSPO at the moment. But as we draw to the end of 2021, obviously, it's been a very challenging couple of years. I mean, how are you? How are you feeling? Yeah, it's, look, it's, I'm, I'm feeling good. Um, definitely in need of a holiday pretty soon, I think. Um, it's been, I've said a couple of times to people that, um, over the course of the, the last sort of uh, six months that, you know, we've sort of forgotten how to have a, have a holiday or, sort of, or how to switch off because the only thing that's kept us sane is going to work and that, that's the sort of normality that, that, we've, um, that we've had. Um, but look, f- feeling really good about things, excited, glad that the, um, the economy's open, that, that, we're, that we're busy and that, um, and, you know, obviously the staffing situation is, is tough, but it's, it's definitely getting better, I think, um, you know, touch wood. But, yeah, no, all in all, feeling I'd rather this situation uh, 10 times over than being in lockdown, that's for sure. <laughs> I think we can all agree on that. Um, so, Julian, for people who don't know Only Hospitality and Inglewood, just give us a bit of an overview of your business. Yeah, so a bit of an overview. Um, so our cafes, I suppose we've got about, we've got about twenty um, venues in Victoria. Did have one in Queensland, which we sold during uh, COVID uh, because of the the travel difficulties. But um, yeah, we've got uh, so twenty stores, mainly breakfast lunch venues. We do have Hotel Collingwood, which is a a, um, a pub, um, and then obviously Inglewood Coffee Roasters and Electric Sunday, our design and marketing agency, which does our wholesale. Um, and our venues, um, yeah, so uh, the, the, the cafes, I suppose, have been sort of our backbone um, and then now we're sort of starting to diversify our portfolio a bit and um, looking for other opportunities and some more growth opportunities for our staff. And, and yeah, so that's, that's sort of, um, I suppose, the, 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 uh, the, the basic short story of the business at the minute and um, approximately 350 staff and, 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 and trying to grow that um, pretty aggressively at the moment. I mean, it's it's a pretty big group um, and, you know, there's more venues opening all the time. It's such an interesting, uh, like, playing field for hospitality at the moment where it feels like really small and pretty big are kind of like the businesses that are, are finding an, the easier path through everything. I mean, do you think that's how things stand? Uh, look, I think the um, what, what, you, what you're seeing in, in hospitality at the moment is um, – I think the businesses that have sort of uh, been able to look. Obviously, the CBD has been um, the CBD has been very, very um, you know been dealt a very tough hand. Um, I think that um, you know I think the the, the packages for businesses um, I think were not they weren't thought out well enough to support the CBD. I think it was just too much one size fits all. I think. Um, which is really sad because CBD have had no chance to, to, to even tick over. Um, so I think that's been a flaw in the industry, which has been sad. And I think also what you're seeing is that businesses that have been able to sort of take a bit of a punt and diversify and been able to go a little bit online, a little bit delivery focused um, and made some smart moves, 
they've gotten through quite well. But um, look, I think all in all, I think we're going to see we're going to see businesses um, obviously accelerate over the next you know three to six months because of the fact that people have got um, you know there's money to be spent that you know because people have been at home for so long. Um, but you know it's all about whether or not people are able to weather the storm. Um, you know because it was such a difficult time. But um, I'm just yeah, it's it's good to be touch wood coming out of it now. I mean cafes, I guess you know takeaway coffee was was massive um, through COVID. But I don't know if you can sustain a business on that. I mean cafes seemed less well placed than perhaps restaurants are offering dinner to um, you know uh, pivot to takeaway. What did you do at, at your businesses? Look, I think that's uh, that's uh, I think um, that's only true to an extent. So I think that, that um, the cafes in the suburbs um, where people are at home, I think they got uh, they were, got lucky in, in in most cases where whereby you know, people are still doing you know we're talking three four five hundred coffees a day in the um, in the suburbs of Melbourne uh, because everyone was at home. It was almost like the CBD went to the burbs in a way. Um, so that was really lucky for the suburban cafes. I think restaurants definitely um, were able to get through with um, with takeaway and all of that. But I also think that restaurants also got stitched up a little bit by your delivery services like Uber and you know all that because they take thirty plus percent of your revenue, which is um, which is significant. In some cases, it's more than your, your bottom line um, profit. So um, I think cafes actually. Um, if you were able to have a pretty good product um, in terms of food, I think cafes. Some cafes went well. Some cafes went better than um, than we all think. Um, I know there's some cafes. Oh, I know from wholesale. Some of our some of our wholesale customers went from 50 kilos a week in the suburbs to 100 kilos a week. A significant. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I know. So there's a lot of people don't realise that. Um, that obviously coffee is something that people. It's it's what kept people sane a lot. Um, you know, being able to go for that walk, for a walk with your dog, grab a coffee. Cafes nearly became a nightclub, a pub, and a and a place to meet. You know, legally for a lot of people. So it was, it was that was a, there was a bit of luck that um you know the the um the side street cafes got during the pandemic. Mm. I know there was a couple of you know when things got pretty dark and um you know in the depths of lockdown and there was occasionally a whisper that you know takeaway coffee was going to be banned and I think you know the, that would have really been the revolution I reckon if that had happened. Oh, I think so too. That was scary. I'm not. That was probably that was equal to the the first day of lockdown back in March. I reckon that that um that concern and fear was really worrying. Yeah, when. When uh, when they started talking about they might they might cut that off. Wow, that was worrying because obviously that was what was that was you know that's what gave us the fighting chance was takeaway coffee. So and particularly for us being a, a, ro- a roastery, our cost base for coffee is obviously lower than the norm. Um, so yeah, that was not. I'm not going to lie. That was a that was a real worry. So I'm not. I agree. There would have been anarchy. I think if um if that if that happened. So I'm glad it didn't. You can you can take away haircuts. You can you can stop people going to the gym. But I think yeah, if you can't get your latte when you're out with a dog, exactly as you say, yeah, that just would have been a bridge too far. Um, so Julian, take us back to how it all started. I mean, you didn't come up in hospitality. Tell us a bit about yourself. Um, yeah, so I um oh, I really dislike telling this, telling this story, but yeah, I, I get I get given a lot of. <laughs> I'm going to twist your arm. Oh no! no I, I, yeah. So look, I um, yeah. Back in the day, I um started making coffee at. Uh, oh, look, I, look, I worked in um, 
I learned how to make coffee at my dad's restaurant when I was 17. And then I moved away to Canberra for a year for footy. And I worked in a cafe um, while I was playing footy and learned really learned to love coffee um, at a place called Black Pepper in, in Belconnen. Um, and then sort of came home, was doing, I was PTing. I was studying at uni, but I, I, I uh, quit because I was, I wasn't very academic and didn't like sitting still. And um, I, uh, I did my PT course, was a PT during the week. And then um, I had a, an injury that kept me away from footy for a year. And I started making coffees just by luck. I called a local roast and started making coffees at uh, footy grounds and little athletics complexes and, um, and it went really well. Like I just sort of, th- I, I fell in love with business, fell in love with coffee, um, fell in love with, the, I suppose that, that, uh, you know, looking after something that was my own. And, um, and then I had the goal of opening my first cafe and, and, um, annoying brother in 2012 was my first cafe. And that went, oh, it went well, it didn't go, it didn't set the world on fire. It was, um, it was a lot of hard work at the start for very little reward. And then, um, thankfully my second venue, which we've still got today, mob in Camberwell, um, you know, I knocked on the door at a knocked on the door at a place that was that was struggling, and asked to you know, offered to help them. And um, you know, the, the 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 short of the long story was that I just became a partner with those people and uh, with the people that originally owned it, and um, we rebranded, and that went really really well. And um, and um, yeah, so from then, I suppose yeah, it, it happened. It all sort of I just had a goal of really growing quickly and aggressively, and giving opportunities to people and. And yeah, we've opened, I think, about 30 stores since, since then, maybe a bit more now, I think, yeah. So what do you actually like about it? Like what drives you? Um, uh, I love, obviously, I, I, this all started from a, pa- for a passion for coffee, for coffee uh, originally. Loved co- I love coffee, love, you know, making coffee. I'm a barista by trade. You know, worked on the tools every day for a long, long time. And then um, obviously I'm very passionate about food. But then I started to become really passionate about creating venues that people felt a buzz and, you know, felt excited by walking to a venue and feeling that energy and that hustle and bustle of a, of a fast-paced cafe, and um, and then and then it's so that sort of progressed in having a passion for business, a passion for people, and our people within the business. We've got a lot of staff who have equity in venues now, and um, seeing our staff grow from being you know employees on minimum wage at the very beginning when they were you know teenagers to now seeing staff those staff being partners is. Is something I'm really proud of, and um, you know we've got staff that have been with us for a long period of time now, and um, I'm really proud of what, what we've achieved and the culture that we're developing. Well, let's talk a bit about culture because it's such a huge conversation in hospitality at the moment. You know, when people are struggling for staff, like yes, money's important, but I think so much of what we hear from employees is that you know it's how a place makes you feel. I mean, what do you do to create a good culture and retain those staff? Yeah, as you said, like money, you know, money's a byproduct. I think of of um, of success of a successful culture, and I think you got to look at the process rather than the result, and um, that's what we try to do. And culture is the number one thing. Staff, the most important thing in the business, and um, most important are the most important people and part of your business are staff. And um, look, I mean, building you know strong relationships. Like I'm, I started my first cafe when I was 20, 22, which was actually quite lucky because. I had so much energy, um, and um, when I first started business, um, and I still do. But uh, being 33 now, I don't back up as well as I used to. So I don't, I don't, I don't have too many, too, too many big nights now. But I suppose that energy and being and, and building so many relationships with my staff, um, you know, really early on, um, you know, rapport and um, building relationships is so important. And I feel like when you build rapport with your staff, 
um, and your team, they become your friends and you can, you can deliver harder messages and they're, they're received in a lot more of a constructive way um, rather than this us against me type mentality. We have this, this, this culture where people just know that we're all trying to improve each other. And, um, you know, we, we call them fierce conversations, you know, internally. And, like, you can't have fierce conversations with people and get a positive outcome unless you have a strong rapport and a strong relationship with them and they trust you and you trust them. So there's sort of the fundamentals of, of – um, and, and I suppose the foundation of our culture, you know, is, is basically built off um, relationships and, and rapport. I think that's really interesting because I think at the moment in hospitality, staff are having to have some quite fierce conversations with customers, um, whether it's around things like, I don't know, that something's gone up in price a little bit or whether there's a surcharge or, you know, things like that you do need to check in, whatever it is. I mean, can you relate the culture that you're building to, you know, a, a whether or not those conversations are easier for your staff to have if they feel a bit more like they're part of something? Yeah, so that's um, a really good question. So um, I actually spoke to my sister about this last night. So I um, I feel like because we're, you know, we're paying our staff so much more than we were, say, 18 months, two years ago um, uh, across the board and um, and that's because of the, the, the landscape Um and what's happened is that we're actually, we're starting to charge, we have to charge customers a lot more. So, you know, coffees are now, I think uh, we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, Daniel, but, you know, coffees are now, I think, six bucks on weekends at, at Buckley, which is people go, whoa. But like the staff are so much more prouder and confident to charge it because they all know that, that their income has gone up. They all know that we've got staff shortages, which means that, you know, staff are able to negotiate better conditions, which is good. Uh, which also means that, uh, unfortunately, the end consumer needs to needs to um, pay for that. Um, in terms of the product, um, in terms of like the vaccination, you know, passports and um, and check-ins. Yeah, sure. You get we're getting you know you get real. Um, you get some you know people who just want to oh, like that. It's it's dis- it's disappointing because clearly we're not the rule makers, and you have to do what you we have to do what we're told at the minute with that with the vax mandate and. And the passports, and at the end of the day, I think it says a lot more about the person who's kicking up a fuss. So I think the staff have just learned to sort of just absorb it. Um, sometimes it's disappointing, though. Like there are tears sometimes that we have to deal with, and you know, which is yeah, it is it is pretty disappointing. But you just got to try to like let the staff know, don't worry about it. It's not like it's not don't like trying to think it. Don't take it personally. That's as I said, it's, it's about them, but the person who they are, and. Um, you know that's 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 pretty um, pretty flattening at times. Like we're getting we get some bad reviews. We've gotten some bad reviews at surcharges and bad reviews at coffee prices in the last two weeks. But again, I think it says a lot more about uh, the person rather than what we're doing. We have to do it to be sustainable as a business. And I saw a, a review at um, a club of station the weekend. Someone saying that. Um, our prices were disgusting. Like words like that. Like oh, pe- what? people are, I know people are so it's just like absolute tone deaf, you know, reviews. I just laugh about it. I don't take offense to it. I just go, you got I'd rather, you know, you'd rather go without that customer in a way. Like I you don't ever say no to business, but there's also bad business as well. And those people damage your, your atmosphere, I think, when they cause that scene when they crack it. It's just not at the till and it's public. It damages your vibes. So you're nearly better to go without them. So these are all the sort of um difficult you know situations we're facing at the moment but as i said just can't take it personally you've got to keep moving 
And, you know, you said you're paying your staff more now than you were 18 months ago. Is that you proactively, like, increasing what you're paying to retain people? Yeah, definitely. So I think um, our operations team, um, we, we sit down uh, once a week and um, we definitely do a bit of a um, – you know, we get on the front foot, so we, we have a look at every, all the all of our staff, all our people, and we and we talk about who are the people in the business who are really really um, important. And um, I've always prided myself on being on the front foot and um, proactively give pay rises because a lot of staff don't have a lot of staff. Rather than ask for pay rises, they resign. A lot of people, a lot of young people, they they're not built to then they don't have it in them to to get on the front foot. It's very daunting for them. And so you, you like you either risk losing them or you be proactive with pay rises. And I think as, that's one of the reasons why we have a, a, a very low staff turnover for a hospitality business. Um, we are really proactive with pay rises, and, and again, that's something I'm proud about. And um, you know, very much the mindset of live and let live. So, yeah. Do you think? Um, I mean, you've got a sporting background. You mentioned you played footy. I think you played VFL, didn't you? I did. <laughs> How much don't you talk? like talking don't, about that? Oh, I, don't, I just, talk, I just <laughs> get, I get so. It's okay because I said, I said to someone recently. At least the good thing about for talking about it is that I, I, it forces um, my my, my ex teammates to to message me or I message them and we have a chat because you know we don't, everyone's so busy now. I don't get a, 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 a chance to catch up with people. So at least it's a conversation starter. But yeah, I'm, it's embarrassing. But yeah, <laughs> that's right. I did. I was in a VFL list for a cup for a few years. Yeah. Oh, it's embarrassing. Okay, fine. So, I mean, it's just interesting you talk about that these young people aren't able to have those conversations. I mean, do you think there's any – what's the reason for that? And I suppose I mentioned the sporting thing. Like, do you think that playing team sport perhaps makes people more assertive, like able to have those conversations? I mean, or do you think it's just cultural, like people don't like talking about money? I think there's an – I think there's an uh, – um, everything you said, there's a bit of, there's a bit of everything there. There's like, I think a lot of people, the, the, North, the, the majority of people don't like to have the conversation about it. They feel uncomfortable. Um, I think team sports definitely help. But again, I think what team, what, 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 what is the culture mm. of that team as well? Like uh, the, when I um, played uh, at uh, Box Hill, my coach was Brendan Bolton. He was a very assertive person and he really, really encouraged fierce conversations and um, and and if you you know see something say something do something type you know um, you know mentality in the culture and um, and surprise surprise we were the te- that, that that team was a, and we had an amazing team you know a lot of um, a lot of players really uh, got drafted and, and got the best out of themselves and it was because I think the way he made people you know get out of their their comfort zone and um, but unfortunately I think. A lot of the younger society are very not scared, but it's just not. It's just not the way people are, are, are wired, you know. So I'm wired like that. I'm very much a front foot, getting the front foot type person. And if I know that having the conversation, and I know the person deserves it, I'm going to go and offer that person more growth and more and um, and a better financial package. So you know, it's. I think it's incumbent on me um, as a leader to, to get on the front foot with it. But also, I think. We definitely want to see staff having those conversations more and being more assertive, definitely, you know, going forward. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I just I do have to mention that Brendan Bolton might have needed to have some more assertive conversations at Carlton, but I'm sure, I'm sure he was just working with what he was given. But anyway, I think Bolton's. I think you're probably. I don't. I don't reckon he was scared of having assertive conversations. I think. I think. Um, I think he. He's. Um, 
I think the type of leader he was, I think he was just too um, intense maybe for a couple of young people at the club. I don't. I, I still maintain he was one of the best operator of, operators of people that I've ever seen. Like I've learned so much of what he, the way he, he operated is, I've taken so much of it into our business. So, you know, I know he didn't, he, it was a failed tenure at Carlton, but I think he's a, a really great leader and got a lot to offer at leading organisations, I think, going forward, whether it's in football or something else later on. Yeah, look, I mean, I'm certainly nowhere near <laughs> close enough too, to the so. club to have anything. Oh, are you? Okay, yeah. It's, oh, yeah, just, yeah. Um, it's just been hard being a Carlton supporter, that's all. It has. Um, it has. <laughs> what, what else, I mean, do you think you've taken from him that's helped you in your business? Um, look, as I said, I think the rapport, the, the rapport, the relationships, the, you know, and how to give feedback and how feedback's taken, I think the, the probably the biggest thing I've taken from him and um, – and, and, and having a culture where people want to be around each other, that's, that's probably the biggest one for me. Like if you're not happy going to work, um, if you're not happy going to work, you're not happy being around the people that you work with, it's, it's not going to work out. So they're probably the main things um, I think I've taken from him, to be honest, and, and getting everyone on the same page. You know, you get amazing results when you have everyone pulling in the same direction. Um, so in a high-pressure environment, it's, it's so important. So I know you've opened Buckley's in Sorrento, which is, you know, an hour out of Melbourne on the Mornington Peninsula. And, you know, region, getting staff in regional areas is harder than it is in the cities. And one of the things that people also talk about is accommodation for staff, like there's just nowhere for people to stay. Can you talk about some of the things that you've, um, you know, worked on to assist in that situation? Yeah, so obviously offering accommodation um, is really important. Um Again, we're definitely paying our staff in Sorrento uh, better than, um, uh, you know, it's, one of our busy, it's probably our busiest venue at the moment. So that's one reason. So the, start, the, the, the venue's outperforming, so the staff get rewarded and we have a lot of bonus um, packages for the staff down there. So I think, again, that's important um, to retain staff and to give people upside and share, that, share the, um, the success. Um, offering offering accommodations really important. Again, it's like a bit of a it's a sea change. There's some t- there's an opportunity to get out of Melbourne, which people are sick of. Um, we've just leased another house in Rosebud, a really like nice three bedroom house, 50 meters from the sand. Um, you know, so we've leased that out for for a year to help because we're about to open in Rosebud and about to open in Blair Gowrie as well. Um, oh wow. Yeah, so we're trying to build an ecosystem down here, like trying to work off what's worked in Melbourne, and that is having support, you know, um, across venues. Um, so that's so we've taken another house at, at least out in, for a Rosebud house, that little house where we got eight star, and then I've, I've got a house in Sorrento as well, which I've got staff in my house every night of the week, which is fun. But also, really? Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> it, like it's, it is fun, and the, and the guys who stay like a. You know, I feel like I'm a housemate, so it's kind of it's kind of cool. But um, look, as I said, I love who I work with. You know, I love the people I work with, so I don't really mind. Um, but obviously, I want to have I want to bring my parents. I want my parents to come down and visit over summer, so that might be a bit. I might have to kick them out for a couple of days over, over Christmas. But that, they're the sort of things we're doing. Just trying to give people um, an easier. We're trying to organise the difficult part of coming to Sorrento, and that is accommodation is a pain in the bum. So we we're taking that stress out of their out of their hands. Mm, interesting, and I mean you've got uh, cafes obviously in so many different areas of Melbourne. How how do you approach creating the right cafe for the right location? Uh, I, well, look, I try not to reinvent the wheel. I think there's a real beauty in simplicity, and um, you know I think uh, I, I think. Um, 
being true to ourselves and knowing what we're good at, I think is still really important. We don't try, we don't try to change too much from venue to venue. Um, and, and, you know, you find that Melburnians are Melburnians. Like we all love to drink coffee. We all love to go for breakfast and lunch and we'd love to, you know, go out and, um, and, and see our friends. So, you know, again, like just not trying to not trying to overthink things and just keep it simple and focus on what we're good at is probably just the, is the key ingredient. Mm, okay, it's yeah, interesting because do you feel like do you create a real point of pride for people who perhaps haven't had that sort of inner city style cafe in a, in an outer suburb? I mean, do you feel like it's delivering something that they've been waiting for? Yeah, definitely. I think um, I think every. Um, I think every sort of suburban neighbourhood craves having a great cafe to go to. So we're just opening Vermont, obviously, and Vermont um, is probably is really underserviced for, for um, breakfast, lunch venues and good ones. So, you know, when we open in Vermont, it's an old milk bar building. You know, finding old milk bar buildings is really important, uh, is a really big thing for us. And milk bars are obviously, obviously all um, – they're all old buildings dilapidated and they're slowly but surely, you know, leaving um, – you know, uh, our, our strips, which is sad, but it's obviously, um, you know, the, the way, the, the, the evolution of, uh, I suppose, um, of our life. And, um, you know, so we, we, we try to hunt down milk bar corners as, um, as uh, you know, options for, for our venues. And it works really well. You know, they're convenient, with the, you know, old convenience stores. They're in convenient locations. They're on corners. They're always in the middle of your neighbourhood. And, um and it's a great amenity to add to the area. So, yeah, they're, they're the sort of things we, we try to look for. And, um, and uh, you know, as I said to you, there's, a, there's so many milk bar, old milk bars out there that are sort of coming up for, you know, for, um, for lease or for sale. Mm, yeah, fantastic. So, Julian, you know, looking forward to next year, what are, the, what are the challenges? What are the opportunities? What are you looking forward to? What are you worried about? Um, I'm looking forward to again more opportunity for our staff. I, I just always try to. I, I really, uh, we can't, if you're not growing, you're just you're dead. So growing the business and growing our people's opp- our opportunity for them is really important. Otherwise, people are just going to get sick of their job. I think so. And hospitality can become repetitive. Um, so constant growth is really important. So we're always looking for more sites. We're looking for more pubs, um, and uh, we'll probably eventually open up the East Coast when COVID is definitely a thing of the past. What am I scared about? Oh, look, when you see this uh, Omicron-type strain, you know, panic, uh, that worries me a bit, you know. Like, I don't like how we're so fixated on the newspaper and the fear-mongering sometimes. That, you know, I don't like um, – not saying that because I know you're at the age, not saying that the, uh, all the newspapers and all that do that, but I think what happens is that you've got people who – I don't know. I don't. I don't like the react the the the, the um, reactive type approach of our society at the minute. Um, and I really feel like Australia. We're lucky. We're lucky that we. You know. I know we obviously had the, when it got an age kit was very very bad. But um, I think we've been able to obviously get through this quite well. And people in Australia are very compliant. Very, are very responsible. We've got a very responsible society. Um, and I think sometimes our government needs to give us more credit because we're so responsible. I can, we, if you compare our our uh, our country to the rest to so many countries countries around the world, no one no one complies overseas. We comply, so which is really good. So I hope that we get rewarded for that compliance. Um, but so they're, they're things I'm a bit worried about sometimes. Um, but yeah, as a business though, we're just focused on you know moving ahead responsibly, of course. Um, 
but we feel like we have a model that, that we're very confident in. Um, and so we're always looking, always looking at new sites, always researching and, um, and di- try to diversify. We'll probably go down, looking, look at some restaurant options down the restaurant concepts next year. And yeah, it's sort of the, the direction we're heading. Yeah, I love it. It's so dynamic. It's, it's, it's very cool. So finally, Julian, like um, people have had to be looking at, at young Australians with, with the, you know, the international um, tap turned off for the last couple of years. What would be your pitch to like a school leaver or some, someone wondering about a career in hospitality? What, what would you tell them um, is so good about it? Uh, I think hospitality has changed so much over the last 15 years and I think gone are the days of people thinking hospitality is not a career. I think it's a fantastic career um, and I am really, really staunch that um, financially there are some great, great opportunities. It's lucrative. You can decide your own path and create your own path and I think that hospitality needs to be more promoted. It needs to be promoted much more in schools um, and, um, you know, because it, it, it gives you this creative – it gives people a creative option. And I just feel like there's just been this stigma around hospitality for so long. And as I said, I'm really proud. We've got some staff that are in there – they're still 19, 20 – who are, you know, getting paid extra, like much, much uh, more than people would think. And um, I just hope that um, – yeah, I just hope that people uh, – you know, if you are an extroverted person and you love talking to people and you have a passion for coffee and food or alcohol, you know, or, uh, you know, cocktails or, um, you know, restaurants, whatever it may be, or pubs, you need to consider it because um, personality is very important to the industry and it's, um, and it's an innate quality, you know. So I think people need to consider it hospitality a lot more than they, they once did. Awesome. Sold. Sounds great. <laughs> um, Ju- Julian, thank you so much for chatting. It's been really great to get your perspective and soak up some of your energy. Just absolutely love it. Have a really great summer. Um, yeah. Uh, may the waves be good. And yeah, hope you can, hope you can uh, get some bedrooms back in your house when you need them. Um, yeah. Thanks so much, Danny. Um, appreciate your time. And, and, um, and yeah, look forward to hopefully running into you over summer down in Sorrento if you're around. Yeah, awesome. Sounds great. All right, take care. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This.